0: Welcome to a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Ayana Young. Ayana is an assistant professor of business administration in the leadership and organizational behavior faculty here at the Darden School of Business, and she and I recently connected to talk more about her background, her journey to Darden, the courses that she teaches, as well as an organization that she's involved with called the PhD Project. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Ayana Young. Ayana, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: It's great to have you here. How's everything going? How are you doing?
1: Oh, things are, things are fine. Another day here in the office.
0: <laughs> All right. Is a busy time for you?
1: Um, actually, uh, I, I would say the, I taught in Q1. Um, and so that was, Busy, right? Um, in in teaching mode, and so now, um, after grading and everything, you know, having our fall break, uh, I think I'm actually kind of just like reorienting my time to focus a bit on research, which I'm super excited about. So these next few months, um, I wouldn't say are not busy, but I just just to kind of dive into my research, um, and so I'm I'm looking forward to that over these next few months, of course, with holidays in between, but uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, tell us about the course that you taught in quarter one.
1: Oh, so the quarter uh, one course was uh, the leading organizations. So it was the first year, you know, core course uh, for the uh, residential MBA program. Um, And yeah, it was my first time teaching in in the core, actually. I I started at Darden last year and I taught my elective um, that I developed, but this last Q1 was my first time teaching in the core, and it was wonderful. Um, And so, yes, it was their core leading and leading organizations class.
0: How is it different teaching an elective versus teaching in the core? I'm always interested to hear faculty's perspective on this.
1: Yeah, so um, let's see. So, my people have asked me this previously, and my first thought was like way easier (laughs) because from our perspective. having a teaching team in the core is fantastic (laughs) i love having a teaching team it was so nice just to be able to um you know have people to bounce ideas off of to you know plan discussions have teaching plans together um And it was so beneficial just to know that, you know, what I was going in the classroom and saying, so were four of my other colleagues and the students were getting a, you know, somewhat similar experience Um, and just having the support of the teaching team. And then everyone just like being in, you know, teaching mode. It it was fun to be around the office and people to be excited coming back to Darden first year. um, The energy is high and especially the energy was super high in Q1 because a lot of the first years, you know, it's their first quarter. So they're really excited to be here. Q4, when I taught my elective, <laughs> you know, it's on the precipice of summer and internships and graduation. I taught both first year and second year for my electives. So I don't want to say the energy was not there, but the energy is just different. <laughs> and with the elective, you know, it was it was me on my own teaching it. Um, so of course, I didn't have the support in the same way of the teaching team. Um, my colleagues are all fabulous. And anytime I had questions about like, Oh, does this seem like too much? Or would this exercise work? Or do you have any ideas? They were, of course, there to help out, but you know it's different when you don't have the full teaching team. Um, And the other key difference was for the elective, you know, because it was a topic that was more related to kind of my research and specific things I'm I'm passionate about. Um, I feel like I got to just go in there and have a conversation that was exciting about you know, relationships. So my elective was on the relationships. And so it was kind of my own research interest. And I got like questions that students asked me that I was like, oh, these could be good research questions. And so um it just it felt more like closer to home in terms of my um specific research area. So so it was fun. The class was also smaller in comparison to core classes. Um so we just had a, you know, more intimate discussions, I would say um more personalized specific discussions and you know the class is about relationships. So people had all kinds of like, well, one time this happened. What what should I have done? Or what should I do with so and so? You know, so those are some some fun conversations.
0: <laughs> For some of our listeners, this might be the first time they've heard about the teaching team here at mm-hmm. Darden. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what that is?
1: Yeah. So it's fabulous. I if i was like why don't all schools do this (laughs) um when, when they can of course um so yeah so i think part of it is um you know because our the way our curriculum is structured for our students is they have to take a set of core classes um every quarter and so um there's five sections of our students section a through e and so uh, for the teaching team that essentially there's five faculty that will each take a section. And so they're teaching those core classes that are required of the MBAs um, every quarter. And so the teaching team, those five faculty who are assigned to the five different sections or classes, um, they get together every week and, you know, they they have their assigned topic. Of course, the syllabus is already laid out. So they're like, okay, what are we teaching this week? Um, and Go over the teaching plan, you know, and of course, revise it from the previous year, make adjustments given the current context, um, new readings or new exercises, new cases um, that are implemented. Um, And they can, I would say, really kind of hash out, um, you know, ways to increase the discussions, way to make it more student-centered. And it's nice, especially... For myself being you know new um, to core, it's really nice on teaching teams when you have people who have been teaching this class for years and years because they can anticipate some of the things that might come up for students or some of the questions they might have. Um, and just hearing how other faculty members who are more seasoned, who have been here for a while, have handled questions or have posed questions a certain way just having that conversation is really useful for a new faculty member because i'm like learning on the spot but i'm also learning outside of the classroom on like how my you know um experienced colleagues have handled this before and so it's really nice to go in with some confidence being like okay i i can anticipate these questions i have some answers um i'm also really curious to hear what they have to say and so i can take things back to my teaching team so it's a really great supportive um, environment i would say to teach that the core, any class really, in a teaching team.
0: <laughs> it's interesting. It's kind of a parallel, I think, to maybe the learning team experience that our our students have, where they're getting together with you know five or six of their classmates and talking about, well, what what happened in your class? Oh, it's so interesting. This is what we talked about. Um, it's a it's a par- parallel experience. So and the um,
1: teaching team is very much like a learning team too, right? We're we're learning every week as well. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about you and your background.
1: (sighs) What about me? Therapy session. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, I guess we can start with where I'm from. Um, I'm from California. Uh, Grew up there, Northern California, but then I also lived in Southern California for a while um, in L.A. area and that that it was top of mind because i was looking outside and the weather so i moved to the east coast when i started grad school in 2015 and like the weather was a huge shock for me coming from california (laughs) and apparently it still is you know i've been on the east coast now since 2015 and i'm still like what it's 60 degrees it's so cold (laughs) um but yeah i was i grew up there um and decided to get my phd um, at UNC Chapel Hills. I moved there in 2015. Um, I graduated from there in 2020 and I did a postdoc uh, also in that same department. I was very lucky to be able to stay um, stay there for a couple years. Um, and then after my postdoc, I came here to Darden.
0: How did you decide you wanted to do a PhD? I mean, there's lots of different paths, right? Somebody gets a master's degree and, okay, maybe think about going to work or continuing down the research path. How, how did you decide a PhD was the right step for you?
1: Yes. So, okay, hopefully this answer won't be super, super long. <laughs> um, it's always a loaded one. So I would say growing up, one of my, or my my dream, I guess, was to be a teacher. I always... Uh, really found joy in, you know, like being with friends at school and like teaching them about a problem or, um, you know, going over homework together and being like, no, no, here's what you do. Um, (laughs) There's something exciting about, you know, helping someone come to some understanding um, and then learning from them how they did something. So I was like, you know, I think I want to be a teacher. Um, I loved math growing up. So I decided that, you know, being a math teacher would be uh, my, my goal. Um, I went to a community college after a high school, um, quick backstory or side story from that is I played soccer my entire life growing up. And so I, uh, wasn't quite sure. I mean, I had no idea what a PhD was. I wasn't even sure like what college really was about. Um, but in high school, I learned that I could get a scholarship. Playing soccer to go to college, and so that quickly became my like immediate next step. So after high school, I really, really wanted to go um, get a scholarship to a university and and play there. Um, I I don't want to say I didn't I didn't know, but I was not I would say privy to the. The things you had to do early on to really get yourself out there in the soccer world. And um, so my coach at the time was a coach at a community college nearby. And so I ended up going there. And I had this really, I would say, naive perspective of community colleges from high school, because a lot of the people who went to community college from my high school were the students that I saw who weren't getting good grades, um, who really didn't. Care about high school, like they're very clearly (laughs) were like, I don't want to go to college, and they would like go to community college. And so, I think going in, I had this very negative perception of like, why should I go to a community college? This isn't right for me. Um, but I got there and quickly changed my mind. I absolutely love the experience of a junior college and highly, highly recommend to this day if anyone's ever like out of high school or deciding, like, I want to take a gap year or whatever. I'm like, community college is an amazing, amazing opportunity to really just take a pause to figure some things out, you know, if you're undecided. And anyways, I loved it. And so I was like, I'm going to be a math teacher at a community college. Like that was my, that was the alignment I had. <laughs> and so I was going to major in, in math and, you know, and, and go on. Um, I went there for a year, ended up getting a scholarship for soccer at Cal State Los Angeles, which is how I ended up in in Southern uh, California. Um, and so when I transferred there, I had my math major. Um, then after I think a year of some classes or a semester, maybe a semester, I was quickly like, whoa, this is a lot. <laughs> of math. <laughs> and there was just like, yeah, there's a lot. And so I decided a minor in math. And um, at the same time, I was taking a psychology class, a social psych class. And we had to do this research project um, where it was like any question we wanted to ask, any kind of experiment, we had to like practice running this experiment and, you know, explain what a hypothesis was and practice some stats, like all, all that good stuff. And so I my friend and I worked on this project. We came up with this cool experiment, research question, and like we executed it kind of from start to finish. And being able to see some like results in real time based on something I just did was so exciting. And I think, I mean, just human dynamics just always fascinated me. And so it was at that moment that I was like, I think I'm gonna major in psychology, but I'm an indecisive person and I love communications. And I was like, maybe I'll go into PR, indecisive. So I was like, let me major in communications also. So I double majored <laughs> and minored in math. And I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be a math teacher, but I really like this psychology thing. Um, I still really loved teaching. I was now at a college where I was, you know, had the opportunity to play soccer. And so I was, you know, I was, was doing well. I was really excited about where I was. Um, and it was my senior year of college and I was exploring the PhD route. Um, I, you know, had learned through, um, talking to my psychology professor at the time who quickly became a mentor of mine about, you know, what the process was like to, you know, be a teacher at a community college, um, whatever that looked like. And, um, she had said, well, you need a PhD. So, um, in exploring those opportunities, I got a kind of last minute, uh, word from someone in the athletic department that there was this fellowship um, opening up at Cal State LA, which is called the Rise MS to PhD. And so it was essentially a fellowship where it would pay for you to get your master's in in um, hopes that you would go continue on to get a PhD. And so I thought this was an amazing opportunity. They essentially were paying for my master's um, and I got to stay at LA, which meant I got to actually, uh, I got a couple more years of my athletic eligibility. So I ended up running track, (laughs) which was great because I finished my, finished soccer. So I got to stay, I got to run track, I got my master's and I ended up getting my master's in social psychology. Um, And so part of this fellowship was also an opportunity to do an internship over summer. And so the summer I graduated with my masters, I moved up to UC Berkeley um, and worked with somebody in the business school there. Um and that is when I realized that I was like, I'm gonna be a professor and teach like social psych. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I applied to a bunch, at least 20 programs um social site programs specifically. And I found out at the end of that summer of my like internship, um, I didn't get in anywhere. (laughs) And so I of course was pretty bummed. Uh you know, felt like I wasn't sure what I was gonna do now. Um and had to give some thought, you know, do I want to continue down this route? uh, is it worth it? What else am I good at? <laughs> it was all these questions. Um, and I was talking to the professor I was, um, working with at UC Berkeley at the time, who was absolutely amazing. And I remember her just sitting down in her office and she was like, is this what you want? Do you like, do you like research? I was like, yes, I absolutely love it. She was like, do you want to teach? And I was like, yes. Like, I think that, I mean, I haven't done it yet, specifically, right? But like, it's something that I think I'm very passionate and excited about. She's like, well, then you just have to try again. And so she's like, what do we need to do to get you to be a stronger, more competitive applicant? And I was like, well, more research experience. Um, And I think also, as I mentioned in deciding on what I wanted to major in, I'm an indecisive person, which meant on my applications for my social psych programs, I was like, I like this and I like that and I like this and I like that. And so what that meant Probably, of course, now being on the other side is the search committees, the faculty members that read my applications were like, oh, well, she applied to work with me and talk about emotion regulation. And she applied to me to talk about motivation. And she applied to me to talk about, you know, child development, like (laughs) it was all over the place. But it was just because everything seemed so fascinating to me. And I truly would have been probably happy being anywhere. Um, But I took that year, I ended up staying at UC Berkeley and working there, and I took that year to really um, think more carefully about what what research area generally um, excited me and I wanted to focus on. And so I applied again to PhD programs, but this time I branched out and I applied to some social psych programs and some... um, organizational behavior programs, because I learned that I could ask questions that I was interested in related to social psychology and, and, you know, people dynamics in the business school. And I had no idea that was a thing. I never knew you could get a PhD in business. Um, And so it was during that year that I learned that and I applied again to PhD programs and I ended up uh, getting in to one of the business programs. And that's where I went. (laughs) That was That's a long a story, story, but...
0: No, it's a good there's, story.
1: There's a lot of pathways there.
0: <laughs> well, I like, I mean, I think it's important for people to hear, you know, there's not, not everything's linear, right? You don't not always immediately get what you wanted to do. It's not always going to work out the first time. And I think it's good good for people to hear that here, here on the podcast. So um you end up in a PhD program. How do you figure out what you want to research and write about your dissertation topic?
1: Yeah, so... um I uh I was I was just thinking about my response to to applicants that has <laughs> been um consistent lately. I was I helped uh, for a few years, um, you know, with the like search committee as a PhD student. And I can recall the students who had gotten accepted, you know, feeling like, oh, I said this on my application, but I don't know if this is really want- what I really want to do. And I was like, look you have to say something on an application, right? Like you have to show that you're curious about research, that you have some broad understanding understanding of it, and you have something you're excited about and something you're passionate about. But the truth is, we don't hold you to that once you get into a PhD program. And we also know those things change based on your interactions with different faculty members, your classes, you know, what you learn. And so I would say that that happened for me. Um, I... I think my early interests really uh, were shaped by working with my mentor at UC Berkeley. Um, And that, broadly speaking, was on power and status. So relational dynamics, but relating to power and status. And as I dove into that literature early on, um, I think I just became fascinated by the things people will do when they're in power, or how much um, our, 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 kind of our fundamental, right, motivation to gain status and power really shapes a lot of our decisions, our interactions. Um, and I think that was something that I was very just curious, right, to learn more about. And that is an area that has stuck with me. So bringing that kind of into my work at UNC, I started some research projects um, related to kind of social hierarchy, both power and status. I also, because I had this background in social psych and I didn't want to lose that, um, I sought out some, um, mentorship in the psychology department as well and ended up working with a fabulous professor there who I still work with to this day. And at the time I got there, she was working on a grant on gratitude and, um, um I kind of got on the project. And so that was, you know, a, a kind of a shoo-in, right? Like, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm here on this project. And so I really started um, thinking very deeply about the theories and about experimental methods and how we manipulate expressions of gratitude and what that might mean and how we do that. Um, and so I learned a lot from that experience. And I think that that really uh, kind of made me fall in love. Love with this emotion of gratitude, if you will. And so, my dissertation topic was really the marriage of these two things. Um, I remember talking to um, my mentor in the the psych department um, that, oh, sorry, building on our question, our research paper, which was about witnessing expressions of gratitude. I was like, I remember asking her, Well, we find that there's all these positive benefits when you witness as a third-party witness witness someone else express gratitude, you're also likely to kind of want to affiliate with them. And I thought, you know, at work, organizations where there's these fundamental dynamics of power, it's everywhere, right? People are constantly interacting with others who have more or less power than them. How does that change like our perceptions of when people express emotions? and so that kind of led me to my dissertation topic which was around this exact thing so looking at um, how factors such as our relational power so having more or less power than someone and our perspective whether i'm someone receiving uh, on the receiving end like receiving an emotional expression or witnessing that how does that change how authentic we think these emotions are Um, my dissertation topic focused specifically on gratitude so how does power and perspective influence our authentic perceptions? Um, and so that was my dissertation topic. And that opened up so many other questions that I've got from different talks I've given um, in, you know, thinking on how to hone, hone, hone in some of those specific methods that led me to other questions. And so now one big project I'm, like I've been thinking about for a while, I am excited about it and hoping to devote some more focused time to it this year. Actually, is kind of building this bigger theory of perceptions of authentic emotions. Right, we know a bit from the research on um, authenticity of of self, like what it means to feel authentic or to experience authenticity, but from the perceiver side, so this perception of authenticity, what factors in the environment around us shape when and how and why we think people are emotionally expressing authentic behaviors? So that was kind of two (laughs) dissertations slash (laughs) leading me into something I'm really excited about exploring, exploring more and I'm working on.
0: Yeah, I'm so interested. Uh, Obviously, there's been a lot in the news about uh, relational power and, you know, those kinds of dynamics. Gratitude is also something really interesting to think about um, within organizations, supervisor to employee. Um, why do you think these topics are really important for business school students to be thinking about?
1: Both, hi- both social hierarchy and gratitude? Yeah. I think um, social hierarchy and emotions, um, these two kind of big buckets, if you will, are fundamental... Uh, components, fundamental dimensions of our existence. Right, we, we live in a hierarchical world. Um, power is not just simply positional power. Right, you can have relational power, social power, influence over others in any type of situation and relationship. And I, you know, I believe it exists all the time. You know, and so it's just something that we can never shy away from. So it's always something. That whether we want to admit it or not, I think is a, a fundamental motive in our mind. Um, and we do know this from research, like the status, the fundamental motive to seek status is, is, is there. Um, so I think that's something that's just, it exists. Um, and then our emotions. I mean, it's part of our human nature, right? To express emotions, to be emotional. Um, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that because those things exist all around us, we must figure out, how to effectively deal with them Um, because they are constantly shaping our interactions. It's important as especially aspiring leaders um, to have an understanding, to have tools, to have frameworks, to be able to apply to situations, um, to, you know, help understand people better, to help understand yourself better. Um, knowing that these two things, you know, you can't shy away from.
0: So, how do you get to Dart? How what, what brings done? you? Yeah, what brings you to Dart?
1: They offered me a job. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's funny because when you're in the PhD program and you're going on the market, you just you have no idea where you're gonna end up. And so, I truly could have never pictured a place. Like I had no idea where I would get a job. Um, my husband asked me so many times, uh, <laughs> in school, like, okay, so I'm trying you know, I'm trying to think about like where I should start applying. Like, where do you think? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I could not be more just satisfied and happy to be here. Um, I, you know, of course, applied to uh, many schools. And when I got the job, uh, not the job offer, the talk, the job talk request, um, there was just this feeling. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Uh, Like I was really, 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 really hoping (laughs) it worked out. Um, It was a virtual job talk. And I was a little nervous about that just because, I don't know, I think Things, it's just, things are just different in person versus virtual. When you're assessing a job candidate, you know, there's sometimes there's just things that are, you can pick up on uh, more easily in person. Um, And so I was like, I hope I, you know, send a good message and do a good job, even virtual. Um, So yeah, so I was really excited. I knew one of the faculty members here um, prior and so one of the one of the things on my criteria of, of job list was like I need a bud wherever I go, <laughs> and so I was really excited. I was like, this checks that box, right? I got a built-in bud cu- before coming in, um, so that was really exciting. Um, but I would say that one of the biggest things um, I didn't know a ton about the the Darden and the students-centered learning case method. Early on in my PhD program, I would say the last uh, two years when I was, of course, more focused on the job market and and learning more about different universities and programs um, that came to my attention. One of my friends in the program was an MBA student here actually prior. And I remember a conversation with him after I had applied and he was like, you'll love it there. And I was like, I didn't quite understand, like, what, like, of all the, you know, the schools I told him, he was like, no, you're going to love Darden. And my advisor at the time, too, similarly, after I had, you know, gotten the job talk, um, she was like, I remember her saying, like, you would be perfect at Darden. So I was like, okay, like, now I really (laughs) need to go see this place. And I really hope things work out. Um, Like I said, I couldn't have imagined where I would have ended up, but this could not have been the more perfect place. I think that the focus on both research and teaching but also the support for both is something that I really craved and now being here and seeing how much that has really come to life it wasn't just all talk right it's real like they they truly 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 by they I mean senior leadership and other colleagues um they truly value I think me as a researcher and a professor as a teacher Um, And I think they want to see us succeed um, in both directions. And I think that is unique. I I don't think a lot of other business schools give as much support to teaching. Um, And I do think that that is one, it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing difference, but it is also can be challenging, right? Because we have to be great at both. And so um, I love that. I love that challenge. but it is you know, something that I think, especially as a junior faculty member that I'm working on and, and figuring out how to balance. Um, but I think that the support of course is, is, is key. Um, and the community, I, again, without having been here prior and seeing, um, you know, I heard that the student community, faculty community, they're, they're close, but now having been here, I'm like, oh yeah, Close, close. Like it's the like darn community is a thing. Um and I truly, I truly value that. I'm such a people person. <laughs> you can tell from my my research. And um I yeah, I just I love being in a place where you know we have senior faculty members, tenured faculty members showing up. I love being at a place where, you know, you invite people somewhere and they're excited to come. Or students are sending out invites to faculty members to just come be a part of this workshop. Um, I, I think that as much as, you know, we have these positions of like faculty and student or senior faculty, junior faculty, we interact as people. And I couldn't appreciate and value that more in a work, in a workplace, especially a place I come every day and spend so much of my time.
0: Well, I want to make sure we take some time to talk about the PhD project. This is an organization that you've been involved with uh, for some time. And so tell us a little bit more about what this organization is all about.
1: Yes, I don't think I'd be where I am today without the PhD project, quite honestly. They are like a family to me. Um, I learned about the PhD project my first year in grad school. As I mentioned prior, I didn't know getting a PhD in business was even... Uh, a thing. <laughs> so I think if you're in business schools, undergrad, um, you're probably more likely to hear about this. Hopefully that's something that would have, have come up if you're if, interested in pursuing, I should say, PhDs. Um, so I learned about it uh, from a friend in my first year and I joined. And so this uh, um, PhD project is it's a nonprofit organization that is really aimed at increasing representation of Black, African-American, Latino, Latina, and Native American individuals in business schools. And so the resources that they have are really geared toward um, helping people in the PhD program um, excel to tenure track faculty in business schools. And, um, there's a conference, um, every year, um, the whole PhD project has a conference where they kind of give information, provide information about PhD programs, um, prior to starting the PhD program. So if those are interested, um, that's something they can go, go to, they get, um, you know, advice on writing their applications, how to get letters of recommendation. They have the opportunity to, um, visit and talk with a lot of, different schools the schools will send representation or representatives <laughs> like what is that word representatives there um and yeah and have just a great um opportunity to you know just ask a lot of questions before applying and kind of get that get that practice of what being in a phd program might be like um once in Depending on if you're in, you know, strategy, leadership, accounting, finance, there's different conferences that you become, that you would go to. You're a part of a different kind of association. So I, as a, in organizational behavior or leadership or management program, I was a part of the Management Doctoral Student Association. And so we have a conference every single year that the um, kind of uh, executive team will put on. And so this is completely... Uh, student-driven. There's committees, planning committees, social committees, um, award committees that is completely, again, student-driven, student-led. And the purpose of these conferences is to kind of meet the students, I'd say, where they're at. And so there's sessions that are uh, targeted towards each year in the program. So when you come in, you come in with a cohort. And so it's almost like Instead of entering your, you know, university with a cohort in your program, all of these other individuals who also started their PhD program at these other, you know, 15 uni- schools are entering into your cohort in the PhD project or in MDSA, Management Doctoral Student Association. And so it's really cool because you get to hear other people's experiences and perspectives Um outside of your institution, but at the same level as you, right? So you're all going through classes, core classes, if you will, together. You're about to take, to take comps at the same time. You're figuring out your dissertation topic. You're going through your dissertation proposal. Um, and so you have another layer, right? Another support system, um, you know, people in your village that are there to help and support you outside of your institution. So that creates a lot of opportunities for connecting um, both across institutions, across uh, levels of, um, years even. So like, you, uh, you know, someone in their second year can talk to someone who's in their fourth year, who's past comps and get advice from them. Um, so yeah, so every year at this conference, we put on, um, sessions geared toward each year. Um, and then there's the PhD project, like I said, is, is a family. And so one of my favorite things about that, um, about the PhD project conference specifically for MDSA is on Friday night, we have something called a family reunion, and it's literally called the family reunion. Um, and people who've been in our field for years and years and years, who've been a part of the PhD project since it was founded, which was in 1994, I believe, um, come back just for this. This is dinner. And it is just, you know, hours filled with hugs and laughs and smiles and so much catching up. Um, You know, we have this similar experience of not only going through a PhD program, but going through a PhD program as an individual where we don't always see others look like us. And so coming to this conference and being a part of the PhD project is amazing because you see other people who look like you, who have had different experiences, but yet always experienced this feeling of not always fitting in because of our minoritized racial and ethnic identities. And so it's a beautiful space to come together, to learn from each other, um, and to be a part of a community that really, really is there to lift each other up through the PhD program, but beyond you know, even becoming a faculty member at tenure track, um, or sorry, a tenure track faculty member at different institutions. And there's um, so, so much support that for that.
0: And it's clear this is something that's been really meaningful to you. And it's obviously something that you're still very much engaged with. Yes. All right. Well, uh, what are you looking forward to in the in the coming months? You mentioned you're working on some research now. and probably have an elective that you'll be teaching in the future. Tell us a little bit more about what you're looking forward to.
1: Yeah. So definitely, um, yeah, uh, diving into some research, <laughs> um, as I mentioned in the beginning. Um, and the, yeah, and, and my elective. I'm teaching my elective in Q4. So that's not till March. So I have, what's that? November, December, January, February. So a few months, (laughs) um, to, to knock some papers out. Um, and then, um, and then my elective and I'm excited to kind of revamp some things for that as well. Um, you know, having learned last year, some things that worked, didn't work, um, excited to hopefully make this an even, more fulfilling and exhilarating experience for the students. Um, And it would feel even more amazing if I get some papers submitted.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Tell us just a little bit more about the elective. What's the name of the course and what do you, what do you explore?
1: Yeah. So the elective is titled people purpose and the power of relationships. Um, I developed this elective last year. And it has also been a a somewhat of a dream course. Um, It's still not completely, I would say, like solidified yet. Like, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, which I'm excited to embark on over the next, you know, couple iterations of this. But um, (laughs) I remember in, so when I taught at UNC, um, I, through a few other Kind of situations that came up. I had I had this idea to to create this elective for undergrads there, and I was like, we need to teach a class on relationships. It's so important. Um, and you know, my my faculty members there at the time were like, yes, yes, we agree, but you need to get a job and finish your dissertation. <laughs> so so maybe focus on that. And I was like, okay, okay, touche, touche. So um, I got here, and lo and behold part of our first year, we had to develop this elective. And so I was like, score, I get to finally teach this class on relationships. I was a bit nervous to even propose this class because I don't know. I mean, you think of business, like relationships isn't the first thing that comes to mind, right? Like, I think so many people are like, you're teaching relationships in a business school um, and and people, my students have even asked me this, like, what made you, you know, like want to teach this class?" Um, and I think my answer is weaved into kind of the, the goals and the purpose of the whole course, which is that relationships are extremely valuable and important to our success personally and professionally. And while it seems so simple, I think people tend to underestimate just how much we need each other. And through this course, my hope is that students will realize that they can be purposeful in their interactions, that their interactions have consequences, that there are things that we can do to build exceptional relationships. I talk about these different components. And that you know part of building these amazing relationships is reflecting on your yourself there's the relationship you have with yourself first and if you want to go be an amazing leader right, you have to have followers and so if you don't know how to navigate relationships like who are you inspiring who's following you right? if you want to you know, make your business a bunch of money, like you need other people to help you do that. And so if you don't know how to, again, navigate these relationships, then who, who's, who are you bringing along? Who's going to be a part of your team? And so regardless of whatever business or um or, or organization, company, um field they're going into, that's the one, I think, amazing thing, both about this leadership, the core leadership class I teach, but also this elective is that, this isn't a vertical dimension, right? I'm not teaching you about one specific uh, area. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm teaching them something that's horizontal, which is relationships that can cut across any single area, company, organization. And so regardless of where they end up in life, understanding the value of relationships is critical and will be useful in whatever you know job they take.
0: That, I mean, sounds super interesting. Um, is there a case that you read in this course that you would want to mention here, or that jumps out to you as being really interesting, or just an article or or something that you found that it's really thought provoking for the students?
1: I teach a few cases, but a lot of it is experiential. We do a lot of exercises in the class. Um, that was my my intent. Um, love the case method. Love 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 teaching cases. Love the discussions. But with relationships particularly, I, I think that you learn by doing a lot of times. And so one of the things that – so I'll mention two quick things, which is – I don't know if people – this is for people to do because you can't be part of the course. But um, one of the things I have them do uh, – think about in the beginning of the course is uh, a few key relationships four to be exact, two that they would consider to be strong relationships, two they'd be considered to be weak relationships, two professional, two personal. So lovely two by two there. And throughout the quarter, I encourage them to connect with those individuals. Um, I give them different prompts each week, depending on what we're talking about, it's geared toward, toward, toward that. And one of my favorite things last quarter, was hearing um just examples from for some of a few students, right? So it's, who knows if this was effective for all you know one hundred students. But there was a few that came up to me afterwards that had said, they hadn't talked to this person in over ten years. And when they were encouraged to do this one this one prompt and reach out to their weak relationship, they had a five hour long conversation that ended in tears because they were so happy to finally connect with one another. And they were like, thank you so much for making me do this. I had another individual say that they ended up actually getting out of a relationship because they had no idea how much it was actually hurting them. and But they felt so relieved and so happy. And so just hearing that these moments, um, that people have had from actually engaging in some of these and coming to this realization that, you know, their relationships are extremely important to their, their lives, their, you know, everyday um, actions is, is, is amazing to hear that people were, you know, found value in that. Oh, I remember the second thing. This is an exercise. Um, students loved this. And I love, I loved watching this. Um, this was so simple. It it was Something where, you know, I I I had them pair up with someone they didn't talk to or didn't know very well. And they go through a series of questions. These questions progressively get more like intimate or deeper in the sense that, you know, it's not just surface level like, oh, what's your name? Where are you from? It's like, what's your biggest fear? You know, when who is someone that you've always wanted to, you know, tell something that has bothered you or that you've you know been hurt by but you've never got the opportunity or you've been too shy right so they progressively get a little bit more intimate and afterwards the students feel so connected right to this other individual after just 30 minutes and they're like wow like i had no idea this person had gone through this or i had no idea that this person felt that way and so it's just a reminder that these little everyday behaviors, these little moments, even just small increments of time, can really change our interactions with others and really make a difference in someone else's life.
0: Well, I love I love both of those examples. And I think it's good for people to hear not all of our classes are totally case driven, right? We have yeah. experiential uh, classes where you do these kinds of exercises and that's part of the elective experience here at Darden. So Um, Ayana, uh, last question for you. What would you want our prospective students to, to know about Darden? What would you, what would you share with them?
1: Uh, prospective students? Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is something I talked about earlier about something that, uh, drew me to Darden, which is the community. Um, I think that if you're, you know, looking to go check a box and get a degree, you can do that from a lot of places, um, a lot of wonderful places that are very prestigious and you know, high up in the rankings. Um, But coming to Darden means I think you get more than just a degree. You get an education that is built not just in the classroom, but outside of the classroom as well. Through all of the student organizations, which I have learned are freaking (laughs) – like gin- ginormous. There's so many. <laughs> um, I, I tell the students that Darden truly is student-led. Um, you can, there's something for you, whatever your interest is. Um, you can find a community, you can find a group of people in so many different ways. And I think that one of the amazing things about Darden is that you're learning from your faculty, of course, from the professors. But because of the way in which we teach and because of the way in which Darden is organized, you learn infinitely more from your fellow peers and your students. And that, I think, is an amazing, an amazing opportunity as a student I wish I had. Right? You have people coming with, I mean, from such a diverse array of backgrounds. Like, when are you ever going to get a chance to be in a room and learn from so many different people? But yet you have the same goal. Which is to become like better leaders and better peers and and better people. Um, and so I think that is just something that an opportunity, a chance you you don't really get often in life.
0: Well, Ayana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk with us about you know how you got to Dart your journey uh, to this point, the classes that you've been teaching, but also the PhD project. It was great to learn about that organization. It was not one that I knew about before this. Uh, conversation, but obviously uh, an important one for folks to learn about, particularly if they're considering uh, that path. So um, thank you so much and uh, have a great rest of the day.
1: Thank you, Brett. It was a joy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: And that was my conversation with Ayana Young, an assistant professor of business administration and member of the leadership and organizational behavior faculty here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D A R D E N, at virginia.edu. Till next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.